Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Hey, Venture. I don't know why I pause when I say that. It's not like you're able to respond to me. Although maybe right now, whether it's in the chat window or at your home, you can respond hello together. We can all uh, say happy Mother's Day. This is Mother's Day weekend. And uh, if there was ever a time period for us to take some time and appreciate moms and be thankful for moms, I think it's right now while we're sheltering in place. It was a great surprise the other day uh, when Murph and Charlie and the worship team, they brought that gift to Lee. Surprised us, and especially sweet as those guys, they put it together themselves. Charlie made the bread. They got all the gifts personally themselves. And so she was really blessed by that. We wish we could bless every mom in the church. But just hear me say how much I appreciate all that you're doing right now, all that you're having to carry, especially the load at home. I I saw it. headline this week that said that 50% of men said that they were splitting the responsibilities at home right now 50-50, that they were doing as much of the homeschooling, as much of the housework and everything. 50% of the men said that. It was funny when they surveyed the women, only 3% of the women agreed with them. So I, I think I can speak for most of us as guys, we know how much moms are caring in this season. And we want to say thank you. I've not addressed our message today to moms directly. And the reason is we're not here to celebrate together. I'm not a mom. And many of you are not as well. And so I do want to speak to the family and our homes. But before we do so, could we just take a minute and why don't we just go to God? Let's thank him for our mothers. Thank him for the mother that you've had. If you are a mom... Hopefully you're feeling that thanks today in it. And let's lift them up together. Will you pray with me? Father, we do come before you. And uh, I thank you for just motherhood. I thank you for the power it is in our church, the power in our lives. For every one of us as we look back on our lives, the, the impact that our moms have had on us. And Lord, we thank you for them. Lord, I thank you for Lee. I thank you for all the moms who have kids at home, all the moms who continue to pour themselves out. We thank you for their sacrifice. Lord, we recognize this day is a day of a lot of emotions as well, as many of us are missing our moms. Uh, after losing my mom this last spring, I just uh, realized the pain of just having to say goodbye. And so I pray for all today who are missing their moms. Lord, I pray for those who are separated. Their mom's in a nursing home. They can't go see them. They're in a hospital. And we just pray for them today. Lord, I pray for the many who would love to be moms. Some who have lost children. Some who have never had children. Lord, we we lift them up. And the pain that this holiday can bring as well. Lord, you call us as a church to rejoice with those who rejoice. And so we want to rejoice with moms today. But you also call us to weep with those who weep. And so we weep with those who today they feel in a special way just the depth of that pain. Lord, we thank you. We praise you because you are so good. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we're continuing in this series, Cocoon. And in the series, we're we're looking at how do we prepare for the world to come? 
One day this is all going to open up again. I'm not sure when. But when it does, how are we using this time to prepare? And, and I initially focused this message on how do we prepare our homes and our family strategically for what's coming. And I was working on that. And, and I thought I would have just kind of one point at the beginning. Before you prepare, you may have to repair a little bit. And the more I, I kept sitting in that space of repair, how do we repair our families and our homes after this season? I realized it wasn't just a point, it's a sermon. Because I, I think maybe after this long season, we're struggling with some things that we need to repair. We're struggling with some things that we need to face and look at. I mean, now that we're in day, what is it, 347 of shelter in place? <laughs> I might exaggerate a little bit. Uh, it feels like that. And, and it's getting harder as you kind of see other parts of the country, you see other states as they're opening up more. And, and I'm not debating the wisdom on all that. E each leader has to make those decisions. But it can be hard here as we still feel locked down. I feel like the little kid looking out the front window and you see all the neighborhood kids out playing and you're not allowed to go outside. And in that, as it continues on, especially the impact individually, and in a home, and a family, that tension and pressure can bring out some stuff that maybe we need to deal with. Bring out some stuff in our relationship that maybe we didn't realize was there. You know, years ago, Lee and I, our first five years of marriage, we, we really didn't fight much. You know, some couples have a lot of tension right out of the gate. We got along pretty well. Five years in, though, we moved to Bangkok. We were working in an international school and planting a church there. And, and in Bangkok, in this new city, we were in this little apartment building and we had two rooms that were like dorm rooms. Our, our, one was our bedroom and you had to go across the hall, the outside hall, to get into our living space. And, and in the pressure of being in that small confined space, in the pressure of working together every day, it's the first time in our lives we both worked together, we spent the day together, and then we came home together. And, and as we did that, suddenly we found ourselves fighting more, frustrated more. Things were coming out that, that we'd never faced before. And, and I remember one day, Lee was really frustrated with me, and, and we were exchanging words in that. And just kind of out of the blue, I said to her, who are you? She said, what do you mean? I said, what, what happened to that sweet, adoring wife that got on a plane with me? I mean, it feels like you're frustrated with me all the time. And she looked at me and she said, who are you? What happened to that patient, kind husband that got on the plane with me? It just feels like you're always at on edge. And, and as we wrestled with that, it, it was easy in the moment to try to blame it on the circumstances of a new city, confined space, being together all the time. But here's what we came to. It was those circumstances that were forcing us to wrestle with some stuff in ourselves. And in our relationship. I would encourage you, maybe in this season, you find yourself wrestling with stuff. Maybe things have surfaced. Maybe you find yourself struggling with things you never struggled with before. And it's easy to blame the circumstances and the shelter in place and how this continues. And yet all that is doing is forcing you and it's forcing me and it's forcing all of us to deal with some issues maybe that were there before.
or deal with some issues that we're struggling with for the first time. That's why instead of a message on preparing, and we'll look at that. I want to talk strategically. How do we prepare our homes? How do we prepare our families for the future? I I thought it'd be good to stop and look at how do we repair? And hear me right out of the gate. Our God is a God of repair. Our God loves to restore and repair things that are broken, marriages that are broken, people that are broken. You know, one of the greatest myths about Christianity is Christianity is for perfect people who keep their act together. And as long as you do, and as long as you do live this perfect life, you'll fit in great with Christians. That is the biggest myth in the world. You know what Christianity is about? Christianity is about a perfect God who loves broken people. And through the act of Christ dying on the cross, he loves to extend to them the opportunity to repair every area of their lives, to to see his forgiveness, and to build something new in the brokenness. And so even as we dive into this, I I want you to lean in, and instead of facing it with a, oh, crud, we got to face these bad things, we should, as Christians or people who come to God, we can lean into it knowing this is what our God loves to do in our lives. And he can bring healing and help where we desperately need it. Now, to do that, though, I want to walk you through just kind of five things. Five key areas of how do we address this as we're looking to repair. Look at the first one. We have to do an honest assessment of how we're doing. We have to get honest with ourselves. And and I want us to think about this in a couple of categories. And, And I take it from the writer of Hebrews when he's describing in Hebrews 12 the fact that the Christian life is like a race. And as we're running this race, he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all the people who've walked by faith before us, they're watching. Let us also, and and look at the categories he has here, lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Uh, Two things that he points out, the weight and the sin. The weight. And when he uses that term weight, he's describing if you're a runner, you want to be as lean as possible. You don't want to carry any extra weight. And and I was thinking about this season as we're thinking about running our race, especially when we want to run again hard and fast. What, What is the weight that maybe we've taken on? And I'm not talking about physical weight. Some of us have added a few pounds I heard someone say they didn't realize COVID-19 meant that you gained 19 pounds during this time. But I, no, when he's describing weight, here's how I would describe it. I would say it's the habits and the hindrances that are slowing me down. Not necessarily sin. We'll deal with that. But maybe I picked up some new habits. Maybe there's some hindrances. Again, think about a runner who's running the race. That they want to be stripped away of anything that would hinder them, anything that would slow them down. And I don't know about you, but, but coming out of this season, there's times where I have this burst of energy. I feel like I'm getting a lot done. And then other times you look up and you go, where did the time go? It almost feels like you're bogged down. I mean, I, I can go through hours of Zoom meetings and then you come out of it and I feel like a Zoom zombie where, where I just, I have no more mental energy. I'm kind of a zombie in the house. And things that you thought you were going to do, I don't know about you, were several weeks in, maybe things you thought you would accomplish by now, 
What are the hindrances that are holding us back? Where are the places where we're settling into lethargy? Sometimes even laziness. You know, I was thinking about the laziest guy I ever knew. I didn't know him very well. It was after Lee and I got married, we were in this apartment in Tennessee, and, and the couple that lived right above us for a short period of time, uh, boyfriend and girlfriend moved in, and she was really nice. Uh, she worked at a medical office, and, and he just, I, I don't know how to describe him except he, he was kind of a classic stoner. I mean, this is back in the 90s before it was legal, but you know, he was pretty much smoking weed all day, didn't really have a job, kind of that classic when you think of a, a stoner mentality. And all that I knew for sure that he was doing, he was trying to learn how to play the electric guitar. And so if I'd come home during the day, I'd, I'd come home a lot of times for lunch because I worked real close to where we lived. And, and he would be up there with that guitar and the only song I would ever hear him play was Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven. I mean, just over and over again. It was like, no, 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 no. You never could find the note. I mean, at some point I was like, I'm going to buy you a Stairway to Heaven if you don't get over this song. And we would try to be nice to him and I remember one day I was leaving to go back to work after lunch and he came running down. He's like, dude, dude, hey, can you take me to the drugstore? I'm sick. I got to pick up my medicine. I was like, yeah, sure. Come on. It's, where, where is it? It was Walgreens right around the corner. So he jumped in the car and he said, yeah, I got this cough. I can't get over and need to go get some medicine. And so we're driving and he, he runs into the drugstore and I'll never forget. He came out and he had his medicine along with two cartons of cigarettes and I thought, well, that's probably good for the old uh, cough, whatever's going on there. And as we were driving back to the apartment, he said, well, I guess you're headed back to work, aren't you? And he almost said it dismissively. And, and I said, yeah. And he goes, man, you're just like my girlfriend. Work, work, work. All you do is work. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, you better be glad she works as much as she does. She's the only one paying rent. And then he looked up and he goes, you know, I live life a little differently. And I was like, yeah, I, I know. And he said, you know, I've got a motto in life. Here's my motto. You've got to stop and smell the roses. And when he said it, I kind of hit my limit. That, that, that was kind of my breaking point. And, and so I looked at him and I said, can, can we parse that phrase just for a moment? Stop and smell the roses. He said, yep, that's my motto. I said, you know, it's a great phrase, but the person who first said it, notice they said, stop and smell the roses. So there's the assumption that you're doing something. You're engaged in life. You're productive. And from time to time, you need to stop and enjoy life, smell the roses, and then you continue on with a productive life. I said, you, my friend, you have not stopped and smelled the roses, you stopped and lay down in the flower bed and you've yet to get up. And he kind of stared at me. And then he, he smiled and he goes, dude, you're right. New motto, lay down in the flower bed. And I was like, okay, obviously I am not getting through to you. Now, a couple of weeks later, uh, I noticed he was out on the curb with his electric guitar and his luggage. I think his girlfriend had gotten tired of the new motto as well. And, and, and as I look at that, this is a guy that had embraced that in life, 
But I'll be honest, there are days I look up and I go, man, it feels like I am stuck in the flower bed. It, it feels like I can't do the things I want to do productively. And, and I think it's healthy for us in this season to ask ourselves, what's stealing maybe some of the time? And it's not always bad things, but it's a weight. It's a hindrance. It's new habits. Maybe we're streaming a few too many shows on Netflix or Hulu. Or we're glued to too many devices. We, we find ourselves in a place in this time less productive than we want to be. And I would just encourage you, it's good to be honest. Do an honest assessment of your life. You know you. You know what's healthy, you what's, what's not. And, and, and when this lifts, it's not like all that's going to magically go away. It's good to assess it now. Now, there was a second category, though, that the writer Hebrews said. It wasn't just the weight, but it's also the sin, the sin that entangles us. And so we have to deal with sinful attitudes and behaviors that are tripping me up. Things that maybe I've settled into, new patterns during this time. And I say attitudes and behavior. You know, it seems like the attitude of anger is rising. I mean, you see it on social media. You see more frustration and anger and irritation and people taking it out on each other. Sometimes outwardly, but a lot of times it's happening at home. And we take it out on the people that we love the most. Sometimes it's sinful habits that people have picked up. You know, I'm hearing from more and more people that people are struggling with drinking too much during this time. And, and you almost hear this joking, oh, I'm stuck home with my kids and the drinking starts early in the morning. And it seems like a joke unless that's happening in your household. And then it's painful. It has consequences. People that instead of just streaming shows, you find yourself maybe looking at stuff you have no business watching. Or it's easier to go to sites you never went to before. In all of these cases, you know you. You know what's going on. And here's what I encourage you. Because we serve a God of grace who loves to repair, instead of pretending it's not there, instead of just turning from it or stuffing it away, what if you did an open, honest assessment of what's really going on in your home, in your life, in your family? Now, now with that, you had the second category. Honest assessment should lead to open admission of what's really going on. Honest assessment leads to open admission. And this is where I get honest not only with myself, but I got to get honest with God and others. And, and, and when I say that, I'm talking about confession at two levels. First, Confessed honestly and openly to God. This is instead of hiding it, instead of pulling back from it, you bring it to God. You know, one of the guys that was the best at this in Scripture is David, King David in the Old Testament. And one of the reasons he was so good at confession is the reality is David had a PhD when it came to sinning. I mean, in every category, you want to check every box, David struggled with it. Uh, he struggled with adultery, he struggled with pride. He had a man killed to cover up his adultery. I mean, if David lived today, man, we would chew him up and spit him out. And yet it's interesting, God still calls David a man after his heart. Doesn't mean that he diminished his sin. In fact, David denied it for a long time. He tried to cover it up for a long time until finally Nathan confronts him 
And, and, and maybe you've had that experience where when you try to deny your sin, when you try to cover it up, uh, one person described it this way, when, when finally the acid of pain and guilt eats through the wall of denial and you have to deal with it and you have to admit it. And the person you need to confess to first is God and be open and honest with him. You know, I love Psalm 51. It's a psalm of confession where David, right after he'd been confronted about his affair with Bathsheba, about the adultery and all that he had done, he writes this great psalm. I love how Peterson puts it in the message. He, he says, God, you are generous in love, so God, give grace. Huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record. Scrub away my guilt. Soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins, and I love this line, are staring me down. And Maybe you feel that way right now. You feel like, man, my sins are staring me down. I feel the weight of that. Here's the message of Scripture. Here's what David would say to you if he could talk to you person to person. He would so relate to what, whatever you've done because he struggled with all of it. But he'd be the first to tell you, hey, you ought to bring it to God. Stop, stop carrying it. Stop holding on to it. Stop feeling that weight all the time. And be honest in your confession to God. I'd encourage you maybe take some time with Psalm 51. And just read through that psalm. And pray through that psalm. Let the reality of that sink in. And then as we confess to God, there's another step that we don't always like to talk about. But is really important. Especially if you're talking about a home and relationship. And the second step is that we don't like to talk about a lot. Confess appropriately to each other. It's not just confession to God. Sometimes we'll do that quickly. But this is talking about how do we confess with each other? How do we bring this out into the open? James puts it this way in James 5. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. He says, confess your sins to one another. And often we don't want to do this because we think if I really confess with someone else, then it's out. Then I lose control over this. And, and, and our delusion tells us if no one knows, I can control this sin. Here's the reality. When you're scared to let anyone know, when you have something hidden, you're not controlling it. It's controlling you. And confession is this great breakthrough. That no longer is this habit or this sin or this thing I'm so ashamed of controlling me. Because I invite someone else in. Now, it's a little scary because when I do that, I have to own it. I'm vulnerable before them. And yet, when you do that with people you love, there's great power when grace is extended there. Now, notice I put in the notes, confess appropriately, appropriately. Sometimes we use confession not really as a means of confession, but as a means of blame. Where, where we'll use terms like we when I really mean you. Like we need to do a better job around here, which means you need to do a better job. Or, or we add something on it. You know, I'm so sorry for being irritable, but it's because you're such a jerk. And in that moment, we turn it in it. That's not confession. That's just blame. C confession is owning my stuff. 
Confession is realizing I can't change another person. I can't control their behavior or actions. And despite what they did, I still want to own what's going on in my life. Jesus put it this way. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? And during this time where families are at home, where we're spending so much time together, it's very easy to see the specks in their eyes. Sometimes even the logs in their eyes. But Jesus said, you need to deal with your stuff. You need to own your stuff. And I would encourage you one other thing about confessing appropriately. Maybe you've been carrying around some guilt for a long time, and it might be something really serious. And I've seen it sometimes in a relationship with a couple where the one person finally needs to confess and they just dump it all on their spouse. And their spouse wasn't ready for it. And instead of being healing, it's almost traumatizing. They weren't ready to deal with something in that context, especially when you're there alone together. And so I'd encourage you, if you're dealing with something really serious, it'd be good to talk to a friend or a pastor, maybe a coach or a counselor, that you give yourself the context to bring that out into the open in a way that instead of doing more damage, actually leads to the healing. So as we look at this, this honest assessment, which should lead to open admission, and then as we move into that place of admission, the third part of this, and this is what I love, humble acceptance of God's grace. A humility of recognizing I need the grace of God in my life. And recognizing as well, he loves to give his grace. You know, one of my favorite verses is 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, notice what it's saying here. If we'll come to him in confession, why does he forgive us? Does he forgive us because we're worthy now? Does he forgive us because we've earned it? Does he forgive us because we've done all the right things? No. Notice the forgiveness is not based on our worthiness, but his faithfulness. The forgiveness is always rooted in his character. He's faithful. And then I love, and he's also just as he forgives. He doesn't whitewash it. He doesn't pretend like it didn't happen. He can forgive in full justice because Christ has already paid for it. And so when he gives that forgiveness, it's based on the fact that what Jesus did on the cross has already paid for any sin that I have done or any sin that I will do. I'll never exhaust that forgiveness. You know, sometimes I'll go to Starbucks, I'll have a gift card. I remember once I went in and and I went to pay for the drink with the gift card and I said, yeah, I'm going to just use that. And the lady looked at me and she said, well, you have 10 cents on this gift card. It really didn't go much to pay the debt. And and I thought about it, you know, it's kind of worthless with it. Isn't it exciting to know that the forgiveness of Christ never runs out? That never reaches a point where God looks at you and says, oh man, you exhausted it. You did too much. You've got nothing left. If we confess our sins, he's always faithful. He's always just to forgive our sins because Christ died for us. Because on the cross, he paid what I couldn't pay. Because when he rose, he conquered what I couldn't conquer. And some of you need to hear that right now. 
You've been carrying around this junk for so long. You've been carrying around your brokenness for so long. You've been trying to hide it in your home. You feel it in your family. You feel it in your life. And and I'm telling you, the invitation to know that I can bring that to God and experience his grace and know his forgiveness. Why would you hold that back? And, And as we experience it from him, then the fourth point then, we're able to extend it to others. We extend forgiveness and encouragement. We give to others what they need. And the only reason that we can do that is because of what Christ has done for us. You'll see that in Scripture over and over again. The call to forgiveness is based on forgiveness. Jesus, even when he taught us to pray, he says, forgive those who who have trespasses against you based on the fact that you just asked for forgiveness from the Father. Colossians puts it this way. If you look at this, bearing with one another, and if one has complaint against the other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. So as God forgives us, we're able to give that forgiveness to others. And I would encourage you, if you struggle with forgiveness, that might be something to rest in. You know, years ago, there was a story of a traveler in what was then Burma, Uh, And this traveler was going with the guide and they had to cross this shallow river. And as they went through the river and came to the other side, the traveler looked down and leeches had attached to his torso and his legs. And his first reaction was to to immediately reach down and just want to rip them off. But the guide stopped him. He said, don't do that as much as you want to. If you just rip them off, the heads that are embedded in the skin will still be there and it'll become infected. He said, come, we've got to prepare a bath, a balsam bath. And in this warm bath, those leeches will start releasing as you soak in it. You know, it's a great picture as you think about forgiveness. You should think about maybe some of the people that have hurt you. Maybe the things you're struggling with right now in your home. And as much as we want to just kind of forgive quickly and we'll just rip off the pain and put it behind us, we often do that. And buried in each of those wounds is that head of resentment and bitterness that festers. Here's the key. We bathe ourselves in the forgiveness that we've received from Christ. As we soak in the forgiveness of our life, it helps us release forgiveness to others. It helps us to give others what we have received. And I would encourage you, if you're in this season right now, maybe you're dealing with some stuff and you're struggling with forgiving. Maybe you need to take some time and soak in the forgiveness that Christ has given you. And remember how gracious he's been with you. And as you give that forgiveness, you know, there's a second part of this as well. One of the greatest gifts you can give, especially to those who have failed, is encouragement. Encouragement. People need encouragement. People need somebody to come alongside and not just point out what they did wrong, but also point out what they see God doing in their lives. That that voice that speaks into their ear. 1 Thessalonians 5, I was reading this and was convicted by it. It says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the fainthearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And I, I was convicted as I thought about my kids. I'm probably quick to do this one, admonish the idle. If I think they need to get busy or get to work, I'll admonish pretty quick. But here's where I was convicted. Encourage the faint-hearted. 
that we're not just correcting, we're encouraging as parents. You're not just correcting your spouse, you encourage them. You're not just always there, maybe even forgiving them. Okay, I'll give you forgiveness. But in that moment to speak into it and not just forgive, but speak a word of encouragement. Encourage them because they were willing to confess. Encourage them because of the growth you do see in their lives. It's amazing what a little encouragement in that moment, especially when a person feels so vulnerable. You know, Benjamin West The painter talks about when he was a child, he he would love to get his mother's paints out, all her oil paints. And one day he had them out and he's painting a picture and he just made this huge mess. And she came home quicker than he was expecting. And and he was scurrying about with it when his mother walked in the room and he was expecting the admonishment. But she looked at the picture and she smiled and she said, what a beautiful picture of your sister. And she walked over and she gave him a kiss on the cheek. And as he described it, he said, with that kiss, I became a painter. I mean, it just changed the trajectory of life, of the encouragement in that moment. And I would encourage you, we're talking about some pretty vulnerable stuff here. We're talking about as families, as couples, parents and kids, and maybe friends with each other, having to be open with each other, having to confess, having to forgive. You'd be amazed what a little encouragement would do in that moment to help them not only confess, but to continue on in it, to have energy to walk in it. And that's the final point I'd say to you. All of Christianity is not about just getting to ground zero, that we blow it and then try to get forgiven again and blow it and forgive it. If you look through the New Testament, God actually has this expectation that he's going to change our lives. He has this expectation we can actually walk in his grace. Christian life's not static. It's always about going somewhere. And and that's really what we're going to look at next week as we talk about how do we prepare together? How, How do we strategically plan as a person, as a family, for what God has in front of us? What are some of the goals and visions around that? To do that, here's the final point I would say is partner together on a plan of action. See, it's one thing to confess, it's another thing to partner together to go, all right, how are we going to live differently around here? How can I help you as you struggle with this? How can you help me? What are we going to do to put this in action with it? And as you look at it in Scripture, I love how Ephesians puts it, look carefully then how you walk. Remember, this is about a walk. This is about life moving forward. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And I think that phrase, making the best use of time. How am I going to walk? How am I going to live? Whether I'm sheltering in place or whether everything opened up, how can we partner together as individuals, as families, as a church, recognizing that we are people that make messes. We are people that we're trying to paint a picture of Christ in our life, and we make messes at times. And that's why we need his grace. That's why we need his forgiveness. That's why we need encouragement. And that's why we need to partner together and recognize, and I'll end this the way I started it, that we have a God who loves to repair. He loves to restore what was broken. And it's never too late in any life. And I'm going to close a little bit differently. I want to read an obituary. There's an obituary for a man who died this last January, Ken Fusen. 
And it's interesting because he wrote the obituary himself. Listen as he writes. He said, Ken Fusen, born January 23rd, 1956, died on January 3rd, 2020, in a Nebraska medical center of liver cirrhosis and is stunned to learn that the world is somehow able to go on without him. Ken attended the University of Missouri-Columbia's famous School of Journalism, which is a clever way of saying almost graduated but didn't. Facing a choice between covering a story for the newspaper or taking his final exam, Ken went for the story. He never claimed to be smart, just committed. In 1981, Ken landed his dream job working as a reporter for the Des Moines Register. Ken won several national feature writing awards. No, he didn't win a Pulitzer Prize, but he's dead now, so get off his back. In 2011, Ken accepted a job in the marketing department at Simpson College, where he remained until 2018. He was diagnosed with liver disease at the beginning of 2019, which was pretty ironic given how little he drank. He is survived by his sons, who all brought Ken unsurpassed joy. He hopes they will forgive him for not making the point more often. He loved his boys and was and is extraordinarily proud to be their father. Ken had many character flaws. If he still owes you money, he's sorry sincerely. He prided himself in letting other drivers cut in line. For most of his life, Ken suffered from compulsive gambling addiction, and it nearly destroyed him. But his church friends never gave up on him. Ken placed a bet on September 5th, 2009, and it was his last one. He died clean. He hopes that anyone who needs help will seek it. Miracles abound. And I love this last part that he wrote about his obituary. He said, Ken's pastor says God can work miracles for you and through you. Skepticism may be cool, and for too many years, Ken embraced it. But it was faith in Jesus Christ that transformed his life. That was the one thing he never regretted. It changed everything. God is good. Embrace every moment, even the bad ones. See you in heaven. Ken promises to let you cut in line. I love that line. The one thing he never regretted was faith in Jesus Christ. Because it changed everything. It, it doesn't matter what you've gotten yourself into. It doesn't matter maybe even the damage you've done during this time. It doesn't matter how long you might have struggled with something. Here's what matters. Do you believe that Christ could forgive you? Do you believe God could restore your life? Do you believe God could repair your home, your relationships? Guys, we, we want to walk and experience all God has for us. But to do that well, we have to be honest where we are. So I'd encourage you today, maybe this week, take some time and get alone. Do an honest assessment of where you are, where your home is. Have some open admission before God and others. Receive his grace. Receive it because it comes from Christ on the cross. Give each other forgiveness and encouragement. 
And then the final part, begin now to partner together. To partner as a family, to partner as a couple. To, to, to start to have a vision for what is it that God's called us to do uniquely. And know that we can walk in that, knowing that we're going to make future mistakes. And God's grace will meet us there as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the grace of Christ. I thank you for the forgiveness that comes. Lord, I pray for anybody hearing this, that right now they are weighed down with guilt. Some of them with shame. They don't want to tell the other people in the room that they're watching this message with what's really going on in their lives. Lord, would you break through that? Break through that stronghold. Give them courage to trust you and to receive your forgiveness. Lord, I pray for couples who are struggling, who need to forgive each other. I pray that they would bathe in your forgiveness so they could extend it. I pray for those who need encouragement during this time. I pray that we would be voices of encouragement and not just voices of correction. And Lord, we want to be the kind of people and individuals and families who walk in your truth, who experience all that you've called us to experience in this life. Lord, I pray that we would trust you and believe you. And like Ken, we would believe it's never too late. The one decision we will never regret is putting faith in Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.